0: Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Cool Hand Grace podcast. Each week, we explore a biblical passage or topic offering insight and application and seeking to point us to hope and direction for our lives. We also have interactive questions for each podcast for individual reflection or for small groups. I'm Pastor Kurt Witzig, and on behalf of the College Ministry at Duluth Bible Church, Welcome. This week, we will continue our short series asking some key existential questions and looking at the answers to our identity in Christ. Our position speaks of our vital union every believer has with the Lord, and it is the basis from which our Christian lives flow out of. Position truth is something referred to as identity truth. And identity, well, that's the qualities, the beliefs, values, appearances that make a person who they are, how they self-identify. We saw from last time that there's three ways we can self-identify. One is uh, we can say we are who we think we are and base that on our performance, our performances, our abilities, our successes, accomplishments, or maybe our sincerity and our hustle. Or secondly, we can say we are who others say we are. And that can be positive and negative, But unfortunately, it's based on uh, uh, a lot of uh, comparisons and things and people's opinions of us. And unfortunately, uh, we tend to remember anyway, if not having it be more negative. And the negative is what we hear uh, coming through loudly. Uh, Thirdly, uh, we could have our identity as we are who God says we are. And this is from the perspective of a believer. When you're saved as a believer or a Christian, then who does God say you are? Well, he says for everyone, whether you're a Christian or not, we are all created by God. And we all carry the image of God. We are image bearers as we were made in his image. And also, we are all of very high value, of high worth as a human being. And that is because we are sourced in God. And because a val- something is, the value of something is exhibited by the price paid for it. And we know that God is seeking to redeem the whole world, all of us, individually. And the price paid was the very blood of Jesus Christ, his own son. Tremendous, a priceless value, showing our value. Uh, So then we need to enter into a relationship with God through that death that Christ provided on the cross. And when we believe, we become a Christ one, a Christian. And the following things now are what we saw, as we saw last week, that for those who are believers, how God sees us. Uh, we looked at Ephesians 1, for example, last week, which have stressed this f- phrase, in Christ. And so we are in Christ. We are blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ. And we see that we are born again there. We have become children of God and we have spiritual life and a new family and a new nature and a new identity, all being in Christ. We have an inheritance, as we see, that's related to family and birth. We're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ is in us and coupled with that, you and I are placed in him, and there's this tremendous union then. And we know we're loved and forgiven and redeemed and reconciled and made complete and secure, and we stand in grace and so on. So what? Well, we want to apply all of this to the who am I question. Who am I? I am in Christ. And our personal knowledge of this will shape our whole outlook on our Christian life. I mentioned, uh, like, wearing glasses. We put these glasses on, and this is how God sees us, and this is how he wants us to self-identify. You know, if you were to watch the American Idol show, when the winner is determined, we mentioned this last week, that uh, they finally, at the end, they get to sing another song. But this is after the contest, and the winner's been determined, and because they have won, they get to perform this song, not now to perform for evaluation and to be judged, but they can now sing relaxed and really enjoy it and out of pleasure for singing. And that, when we are in Christ, we no longer seek for approval or work for approval. Uh, We work um, from approval. We have approval in Christ. So it's like we're singing after the contest. We have approval. We can relax. Our identity, it matters to know who you are with no hesitation. Our union with Christ is real, and it can be a real motivator. So we should hopefully grasp with those class and lenses on, who am I? So now let's turn our attention to the next question for this week. Why am I here? What's the point of my life? And now that I'm saved, what am I supposed to be doing? And so again, we'd like to answer that question looking primarily through the lens of our identity or our position in him. How do you primarily relate to God in your thinking? As a servant? As a friend, as a son, and we're going to see here in our text, we're going to look at in Romans chapter 8, verse 15 and 16 and 17, that we are to relate to God as children, as a son. I'll read Romans eight fifteen through 17. It says, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. And so the text here in Romans 8, Paul wants to make it clear, we are children of God. The first verse, part of that verse 15 says, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear we didn't receive the spirit of bondage to fear. And I would like to to suggest that that bondage of fear is going back into a, 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 like a law oriented walk, a performance thinking where we have anxiety because we might get fired in that kind of uh, insecure environment. We have fear, we're under bondage. And and when we kind of have a law principle, it tends to be do this and get that and do it. And, but you never know if you've done enough, etc. So we're not going back into the bondage again of fear but we have the spirit of adoption the verse says and the spirit of adoption the word adoption is how one is admitted as a believer into the family of god that's a unique word it's only used by paul in the new testament five times and he's not he's you know in the Jewish customs and such, they didn't have adoption laws. things were already spelled out as far as uh inheritances and and for first son and second son and so forth. And so Paul's going to refer to uh, that which is a Greek and particularly Roman custom of his time there, and that was how they would uh, with their adoption of children, this is where this was where the child would become an adult privilege or legal standing in the family, and they would be relieved of any previous debts or obligations, and there would be now a new status and responsibilities that would be assumed. And the Roman custom was that all members of the family held their property jointly, so all children were already heirs. They did not need to have the father die for them to have that inheritance. So we see then, as he's referring to that, you have received the spirit of adoption. You're included into the family. And that's why we cry out, what? Abba, Father. And so we cry out because we are children of God. Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and that we are heirs. So here Paul wants to emphasize this, the Spirit of God is emphasizing this, which means he's providing, as he's going to bear, the Spirit will bear witness means he's going to provide testimony. He's providing evidence that we indeed, confirming evidence that we indeed are children of God. So this is for you and I to be very much understood. It's important. And if we're children, then we're heirs. We're not servants, we're heirs. Now, if we are children of God, what's the other side of the coin? What would that mean? It would mean that we have a father. And Galatians 4, 5 through 7 is another important passage where Paul is now talking to these Galatian believers who were trying to go back under the law, and he's trying to show them how they've been redeemed from the law. So notice Galatians 4, 5 through 7, he says uh, that Jesus came to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. There's our term again. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. There it is again. Therefore, you are no longer a servant or a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Notice, because we are sons, we can cry out, Abba, Father. Verse five: We've been bought with a price from bondage, from under the laws. Galatians three was explaining we were uh, Israel was under the law; they were under a tutor. They were uh, so. This was their this was their status. But yet in verse five, he says, "But we've received the adoption of sons, something much different." we have entrance into this family of God now with full privileges. And because of that, Abba, Father. Nowhere in the Psalms, for example, when you read the Psalms, do you see any of God's people address him in prayer as Father. The first to do that was Jesus. And he taught us to do the same. Abba, Father. We then are in him, because we are sons, the spirit then also of his son comes into us. And there's this tremendous union again. And this is speaking of our position. And this is reality. And we can call out to God in a very personal way. And some often will say, it's like saying, daddy. So this is, a, this is an amazing uh, truth. That we are children, and that he is our father, and we can personally call out to him, Abba, Father, in this personal relationship. And verse 7 then, as we said, he says, therefore you are not, you are no longer a slave or a servant, but you are a son, and therefore an heir. So like we were saying in Galatians three, Paul was pointing out how Israel was like a child under the tutor, under law, and they were serving, and that was their basis as a servant and so forth. And but now when they become an adult child, we now are adopted as children, we're in a different status, and we're indwelt by the Lord Himself. So to really grasp that God is your father, that's a monumental. Um, thing in our, in our hearts to hopefully really explore and, and allow that truth to really uh, get a hold of us because that's to be enjoyed and to be experienced and to be acted upon, which is what faith is, is to be persuaded and believe and to know that's my status. I'm a child and I can approach God. Abba, Father, these are the glasses I will wear. Why am I here? Jesus did not die to make me a servant. He died to make me a son. And, you know, our identity as a son, that's really important. There's, I'm just going to refer to it. We won't read it. But the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, you know, the story, he asked his father for his inheritance early and he departed and he squandered it. And when he was really in, uh, in a rough shape, he decided he was going to go back. and But he had a plan and his plan was that he would be a servant. And then he would come to work in the house during the day, he would go to the servant's quarters and be gone at night. And there he could earn, get some sort of a wage and maybe start to pay back the money he squandered or the inheritance and whatever and so forth. So when he got back, he had a plan all scripted out and he was ready to go and the father wasn't having it. So the son was trying to say, make me a servant. <clears throat> and the father said, bring me the the ring and the robe and the sandals. The signet ring showed his status as a son and even having authority. He could sign things by pressing that ring down. The robe was the best robe, in fact, and that again showed his privilege as son and sandals because servants were barefoot. So his whole point there is you are not a servant, you are my son. And there was a tremendous celebratory party as fellowship was restored and there was, uh, the relationship was good. And so that's how we are as sons. We relate to God as our father what about the older brother in that story before we move on remember him he wasn't there at the time but when he showed up he was out busy working in the fields and such and he was really upset and one of the things he said is to his father as he was making his complaint as he said all these years i served you see he's functioning though he was a son he's functioning under law principle a servant principle wages do good get goodies performance the son Has a father, the servant has a master. And so the son serves out of love and response. The servant serves out of fear. The son lives in the house and belongs in the house. The servant departs every night and lives in the servant quarters. See, there's a big difference. And we are not servants, we are sons. Uh, one of theologian J.I. Packer, wrote this in his book on knowing God. He said, our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls our worship and prayers and the whole out- our whole outlook in life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. So he puts a lot of premium on this and I hope you see that too. That's your status. You're a son. But 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 aren't we to be bond servants and to have a servant's heart and so forth? And the answer is yes, obviously, to both. In fact, this was the example set by our Lord, Jesus Christ himself. Philippians, Paul reminds us in uh, chapter 2, verse 7, he, he made himself of no reputation. This is speaking of Jesus when he came to earth and kind of explaining his what we call his humiliation. He left the, the, the glories of heaven and he came to earth and he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, Jesus says that just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many as the, how he served us is he came in the likeness of a man and he willingly went to the cross and he gave his life as a ransom for many so that we could be saved and be cleansed and forgiven of our sins. And then there's a powerful example he gave during the upper room discourse in John chapter 13 as his last supper with his disciples. After they had eaten, he began to take a bucket of water and began to wash their feet and they were just stunned. But when it was over, he told them why he did that. He said in John 13 verse 14, if I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. And most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. So he's giving them an example. He's speaking to them uh, um, uh, after this dinner, but he's, he washes their feet. And he, this is an example of what how Jesus was thinking and he had that, what we would call a servant's heart. And you know, this example was followed by Paul and James and Peter and Jude, all of them in their their letters that they have written, wrote in the New Testament, they refer to themselves as bondservants. So as believers, we are free to choose who we will obey. And that's what these Paul and and Peter, they're they're doing this. They're based on their position, truth, and what they understood. They were willingly being a bondservant. But you see, Jesus wasn't a servant. He was God but he served. He had a servant's heart. And so Paul, James, Peter, Jude, they're not servants. They're sons of God, saved and redeemed, but they have a servant's heart, especially as they're following the example of Jesus Christ. So with this freedom, there's a willing choice to follow the Lord. You see, uh, we as an unbeliever, you only have the the sin nature. We are in the Adam fallen Adam state and the sin nature is our only option and we we are going to be a servant of that sin nature. But when we get saved, position truth has us understand that we were co-crucified, co-buried and now risen with 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 Christ in the spiritual sense. And so we are a new person, a new identity and we have an option now. We don't have to choose the old sin nature. It doesn't have that same power over us by way of a changed relationship with because of our death, and therefore we're free. We can willingly choose to obey or follow after the Lord, or we could foolishly give in or let ourselves be dominated by the sin nature. So with this freedom, the believer can willingly follow after the Lord and imitate him, as, as Ephesians 5 1 says, as we are imitators of him and to walk in love. So we have this terminology that we are bondservants, but this is by volitional choice. We actually have a much higher status. We are sons, but we are displaying a willingness as a bondservant and to serve. Why would you and I ever choose to serve? Well, as Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 will tell us, Romans 12, a little bit later, Paul says this, I beseech you, therefore, as he's going to apply many truths now in Romans, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, on the basis of all this amazing truth and what God has done for you, which includes even your position and truth of that nature, he says that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So based on the amazing goodness that God has extended and shown to you, and based on your position truth, because he goes on to say that you present your bodies a living sacrifice in Romans 12, 1, that's the exact same phrase that he uses in Romans 6, verses 13 and 14, to present ourselves. To yield, to 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 let someone to give the right away and present ourselves, in this case the the uh, uh, glimpses of a, a sacrifice in their sacrificial systems. So based on position, truth again, you and the mercies of God, you would serve because notice it's your reasonable service. It just makes sense. And it's how we show our response to this truth and to these mercies and to this grace. And it shows we have a choice. So we are sons, but we willingly are wanting to follow or to serve because that's a form of worship and how we respond to the Lord. Think of a store that's owned by a man and he has a worker, a clerk in that store and that clerk comes and punches a clock in and out and, you know, wants to do a good job to not get fired and that, and they, they earn some wages. That'd be like the older son in the prodigal story, but you are there and that man is your father and you're a son. And so you also spend time in that story. You do the same things. You might do some of the same clerking type activities, but your status is different. And you're a son. You're secure. And you have a personal relationship with the owner, the father. And you're functioning out of grace, not fear. And you're serving, but your motive, oh, it's way different. See, these are the glasses you want to wear then. Who am I? Why am I here? Well, I'm here as a servant. Uh, I'm not here as a servant, rather. I'm here as a son, and I have this amazing status, and God is my father. So as a son, then it means you can move into a, a, a daily relationship and have this an intimate relationship with, within the family and with the father and, and such. And so that relationship is designed to have much harmony and practical unity because we're in union with the son. And so another reason why we're here then, why am I here? I'm a son, and I can call my uh, God the Father, but now I have the privilege and the joy of walking in a daily relationship with him, and John 15 beautifully expresses that with the concept of abiding. In fact, John 15, verses 1 through 5, right after the washing of the feet in John 13, we just read, Jesus is, they're walking now, and he's referring here to a vine and a branch and a vineyard. And he says, I am the true vine. And my father, he's the vine dresser, the the farmer. And every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. And then he says, you are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. And then he says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And I am the vine, you are the branches. And he who abides in me and I in him, this union and relationship, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. I am the vine, you are the branches. He speaks here the vine. This is speaking about our practical spiritual life. Life is in the vine. The, the, all the power of life and the essence of life is in the vine. And the branch, when it's abiding in the vine, then that essence, that life source can flow into that branch and then produce fruit there. So the vine, is a, this, this life source and the spiritual life is expressed by having fruit coming. The vine is the source of all of that life, and even that fruit. The branch, you and I, we are tasked to abide. And that word means to remain. It just means to continue. And the idea is just within relationship. And if it seems hard or confusing, in 15, John 15, verse 9, Jesus also mentions that, um, that the Father, as the Father is, uh, loves me, I also have loved you and abide in my love. So that makes sense, to abide in my love. When someone is really showing love and can care and, and there's, uh, you know, you want to be there, it's friendship, it's, it's harmony, you want to stick around and you do so. And so that's the idea of abide. And what is going to draw us into that is love. Abide in my love because I love you just like the Father loves me. Well, back earlier in the verse, he says, the branch you are to abide in me. And that's a very important imperative. It's really a significant aspect of the Christian life to stay connected relationally with Jesus Christ by way of walking with an awareness of his presence, an awareness of your relationship with him, uh, an awareness of his word and his truths. And you're just enjoying that and you're talking to him. Then life flows. And what happens is there's supernatural fruit. And we usually assume that's things like the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and so forth. And the believer, the branch, we get the privilege of bearing that fruit. We don't produce it, but while we're abiding, we can bear that fruit. But John 15, remember, he said, but if you uh, without me, you can do nothing. We will not have any fruit, nothing. And if we are not connected to the vine, because all the fruit and the source and the life is in the vine. Now, maybe as a branch, we can try to produce foliage or something, but it's not the fruit. And the result of this relationship and abiding in John chapter 15, verse 8, is Jesus says, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. So why am I here? we can honor and bring glory and fruit but through fruitfulness as God is glorified as we abide and he produces fruit through us. That's what a son can bear, not a servant, but a son, and that glorifies God. Why am I here? As I think of my positional truth again and abiding in Christ, I can be glorifying God and enjoying this relationship. Remember, active participation, we walk by faith, renewing our mind, thinking those glasses on, understanding who we are, passive production. God does it through us. So we have status of a son. We're indwelt by the spirit of the son. God is our father, Abba, father. We can relate and walk and enjoy this relationship and even bear fruit that glorifies our father as we walk in relationship with him. And that leads to another privilege, the answer of why am I here? And that's found in Second Corinthians 5, and that is we can be and can be or should be ambassadors for Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14, we read that the, uh, the love of Christ compels us. So here's the motive of our Christian life again. We are responding to this amazing love, and we are desiring to be attached to this relationship and continue in it. And so we're responding by faith to what God has done for us and, to, and provided for us. In verse 17, we just a few verses later, we read there, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. And this then is related to our position. Notice it is in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, there's the glasses on. We put them on and we look through and see life through. Who am I and why am I here? These glasses tell us I'm in Christ. I have new life. The love of God is compelling me. So verse 18 then says, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself him. So we've been reconciled. That word means a change. We have exchanged hostility, and we now have a friendship relationship. And God does this. He reconciles the world to him through Christ. And so the message of reconciliation is God is not imputing trespasses against you. And we can plead to the world as if God is pleading through us and implore one and people we come in contact with, be reconciled to God because he's not holding your sins against you. That is amazing privilege that we can do. And we are excited because of our position in Christ and the love of Christ that's compelling us. And so we are a new creation and we are in him. And so we can share this message so others would do so. And it says we are ambassadors. An ambassador represents God to this world. You see, our citizenship is in heaven. Philippians 3 reminds the believer, our citizenship is in heaven so we belong there. Our future is there. We're only here temporarily, and we're representing God, the heavenly world to this world. That's what an ambassador does. They represent where they, where they are from to the place where they are. So we are citizenships in heaven, and people then see us, and they connect in their mind to God and what he must be like. Now, if we have too strong of an earthly attachment, and we're too strong in our earthly temporary citizenship as we're just passing through— We're going to reflect negatively. It's not going to be that good. But if we recognize our heavenly citizenship and our permanent home and our future there, we're going to reflect hope and love. And people will see that and be drawn to that instead of turned off. So, hey, everyone, we're saying be reconciled to God. And the result of that reconciliation, verse 21, is we have righteousness. We we exchange our sin for his righteousness and we are in him. So these are just some of the things that these glasses can assist us on as we want to view life through them. We know who we are in him. We know why we are here and it's all tagged to our position. We are sons. He's our Abba Father and we walk in abiding fellowship with him. We can bear fruit, glorify him, and even tell others to come and join and get in on this. It's free simply by faith. And all of this is just a foretaste of what is coming in the next life. All of these good things intensify and get deeper and are amplified 24 7. And these glasses, they work well, friends, even in good times, obviously, in good circumstances. But even if you're in deep trials, yeah, even if you're in suffering times, yes, you're still a son. You still can abide. You're still an ambassador. The position stays the same. It's objective and certain like an anchor. And it's so good to know this in hard times. And none of this is cookie cutter. You know, all we're all different. We're all created with a different personality and aptitudes. We're uniquely designed by God, and we've even been given spiritual gifts, and we are who we are, we are as we are, and we are loved and accepted in Christ, and we have this union with him, and the Holy Spirit will produce fruit through us as we abide or walk in light in our position and identity. Fruit, as we then know, love, joy, peace, spiritual fruit from Galatians 5, gentleness, goodness, patience, these are Actions. Excuse me, these are not actions. These are character. These are uh, attributes and character things produced. Life in general is actions. And there's so many varied actions, so many different circumstances, so many different contexts. So there's no cookie cutter in life there at all. all so many things are different. But as we are uh, abiding and we are enjoying the Lord and he's producing fruit through us, the result is going to be in a variety of shapes and sizes and tastes as we think of individual lives. But it will all cast the same aroma the Holy Spirit producing in us. That'll be the same, a sweet smelling aroma to the Lord, but it'll look and feel and seem so different in variety, so little reason left for us to judge one another or try to manage one another. Instead, we can sit back and enjoy our relationship with the Lord and our walk with the Lord and invite others into that relationship. And so, That's what's ahead of us. And I know sometimes I'm sure you would want to be productive. We might think that way. I want to be more productive, or I should be productive in doing something in my Christian life and accomplishing. And you feel you're not amounting to anything, or at least not enough. And you feel you're not supposed to be doing this, or you shouldn't be doing that. You should be learning this. You should have matured more. You should be way beyond this thing or that thing. And you're feeling pressure to amount to something. And all I can say, friends, is relax. Seriously. You have amounted to something in Christ. You have an amazing status and privilege in him, and you are fully known and fully loved and accepted in him. And you are often, when we think this way, we're caught up looking at actions. I should be a better parent. I should work harder. I should do more at church. I should be more productive. I should do more hospitality. I should witness more. I should think about being a missionary. I should stop that sin. I should be trying harder. I should be more like her, this person I know, or him. And you want to be productive, that's good. OK, but how do you measure productivity? How do you measure that? Spiritual fruit? you can't. How do you measure abiding? You see, fruit is not actions. Fruit doesn't even come from you, it's of the Lord. it's the fruit of the spirit, and you get to bear it as you abide. Can you have uh, you know fruit and, and uh, you can have fruit, friends, you can have character developing in you as you're abiding in the Lord without tons of actions even because it's not doing things or trying to make cookie cutter cookies. And we all look the same. No, it's in sitting at his feet. It's in abiding and productive is God's thing. He produces, we participate. We have divine, uh, we have passive uh, participation. It's by knowing who we are, putting on those glasses, seeing who we are, why we're here. We can think like a son and like a child function out of our status and our position with those glasses. Who am I? Yep. And why am I here? Yep. I'm a son. I I have a, an abiding relationship in which I can bear fruit that brings glory to God. That's why I'm here. And I even as an ambassador can tell others. And he always welcomes us to abide in him. He always welcomes us. So relationship first and our thinking not just assumed or not just dabbled, but really understood. And thinking through those glasses, applications and actions come out of that. With that, we do have some peace and some variety. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that we can come to you and cry out, Abba, Father. Thank you for our position in Christ, making us sons with privilege, sandal, the signet ring, the robe, So may each of us grasp this more and more and never stop being amazed that you are our Father and that Jesus is dwelling in us. We are sons and children of you, and we get to serve you willingly under grace and love. May we abide in you and know we are always welcome there as loved children. And so we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening again And remember, we do have interactive questions for this podcast. uh, just have to email us at coolhandgrace at gmail.com.